Lundin Lopate at large. I'm Lundin Lopate. When Bob Henley joined us on this show a little over a month ago, televised hearings into the January 6th insurrection had just begun. The Russian war in Ukraine was already almost three months old. Inflation was rising while new COVID cases were declining a little. Primaries had just been held in seven states. So what's changed since then? Inflation is still ramping up. A new variant of COVID is causing an increase in cases. The war in Ukraine continues, and so do the hearings into the insurrection. Bob Henley is here again to discuss what is changing and what is not. He reports for public radio, including a Monday morning show he hosts here on WBAI called What's Going On, and he writes for Salon and other news organizations. His book, Stuck Nation, Can the United States Change Course on Our History of Choosing Profits Over People, is published by Democracy at Work, and I'm very pleased Bob Henley has joined us again today. Welcome, and happy Bastille Day. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Did you know it was Bastille Day? <laughs> I did. I'm I'm also on pins and needles because we're expecting um our our second grand uh child oh. any minute, uh, any day. So oh, I'm wow. watching the calendar and assigning significance to each date as it passes. <laughs> you it's an are- old man's pursuit. I understand perfectly. You often report on labor issues. How are workers in New York and New Jersey dealing with inflation, which is now at one point, uh, 9.1%? Isn't um, inflation sucking up the wage increases many workers have enjoyed? Uh, and some, uh, uh, yes, more. And uh, it's a deeper hole than that. One of the ways that uh, they're going to be dealing with it in the short term, if, of course, is consuming less. Uh, one of the things that's so tragic about this is, uh, this is an induced crisis. I know that when the financial press discusses inflation, we all, our eyes just kind of glaze over, and then we're talking about the value of money, and then all of a sudden, Larry Summers is directing the conversation. Stephen Ratner, the neoliberals, all of a sudden, clear the decks, we have inflation coming, recession, uh, and so we suspend critical thinking. The reality is that this is an induced crisis. Uh, going back to, uh, you may remember uh, or recall in history that uh, there was a Great Depression and there was a response by FDR, which was a multi-year response. We had a similar kind of crisis in terms of the drop-off of jobs, in some ways worse because of the public health cons- uh, uh, thing of a mass death event that's killed over a million Americans, second uh, tens of millions, and at least a million out of the workforce. Now we have two uh, million women out of the workforce drafted by the collapse of public education, another unprecedented event. And so needless to say, the country's hurting and it's no accident that, as we saw from the spot on reporting by Lever, by Andrew Perez and Nick Byron Campbell, right when pandemic aid stopped, and this is not for rocket scientists, we see that 50 percent of American families entered into an economic stress zone. So this is being induced. This is not like, oh, it's barometric pressure. We don't know what happened. Too much money was spent. This is being induced. Induced by whom? The Federal Reserve? Capital, baby. Capital. Come on, Leonard. We're long in the tooth. You know what I'm saying? This is what they do. This is the minute that they don't get enough hmm. and they sense that the conversation might change. All of a sudden, oh, scarcity. Oh, we can't find the baby formula. Oh, we can't find the vaccine. Things are very dark. And this is all, it's ridiculous. This is a wealthy country. 
and they just want to rearrange the assets yet again. Now, 55 years ago this week, there was unrest in Newark over police brutality, redlining, lack of economic opportunity, and denial of, of political representation for African Americans. Didn't the Bookings Institution recently report on devaluation of assets in black neighborhoods? Could new conservative policies or economic troubles lead to unrest again? Well, it's already happening. I mean, uh, uh, how do you interpret unrest? I mean, certainly the George Floyd, uh, George Floyd Black Lives Matter protests, which kind of redefined things. I mean, it set uh, Congresswoman Bush to Congress out of what happened in um, in Ferguson. So there's a generation of leaders present now that were not on the stage. Um, I do see this tremendous tumult. Um, and so... Uh, we do see, for instance, a 57% increase uh, in the number of certifications for unions across the country, mm-hmm. unprecedented. So there is this, this boiling over activity. And so that's how it's being expressed. There's also, we saw in, and this isn't well reported, because sometimes I don't think the corporate media wants to let folks know just how successful these grassroots efforts are. But we recently saw uh, an effort in um, in Newark where, Amazon, who usually gets their way, uh, was negotiating with the Port Authority for leasing another area to create this huge uh, uh, distribution center, warehouse facility, and local people connected into this uh, into Newark, uh, primarily people of color, and the labor movement. Thirty-two BJ in the house. Thank you very much. Worked behind the scenes and in concert together in coalition to beat Amazon, so that they couldn't get another freebie. Uh, these are ha- these things are happening all over the country. So there is a response. Uh, I'd also submit that when we see the uptick in in street violence, when we see the uptick in in, in violence, this is be uh, in response. This is not happening in isolation. The, the Federal Reserve may raise interest rates uh, still more. Fed right. Chair Jerome Powell has indicated that he'll prioritize. <laughs> price stability over employment. Doesn't the Fed have a dual mandate to consider both inflation and employment? Well, that never let him get in the way before, Leonard. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I'm being facetious because it's almost Friday. But the, the thing to consider here is that they're always sticking up for the value of money. And so even when the value of money means the loss of life and the uh, setting up the population or something like a pandemic – they're always going to come out on top for the value of money. That's why the subtitle of my book is Can the United States Change Course of Our History of Choosing Profits Over People? So, yes, they're talking about raising it uh, a full percentage point, which would have, you know, would be the largest in, in modern history in one single fell swoop. And yet the reality is the real destabilizing here thing that even Powell will admit is the gross wealth inequality that has gotten to unprecedented levels, even beyond what happened in the Gilded Age. And so we now have a situation where they want to keep equilibrium in a system entirely out of bounds. Well, with, with higher I interest rates, coffee. with higher interest rates, people in debt and those seeking to borrow will pay more. Does that mean that a Fed hike in interest rates serves creditors at the expense of borrowers? Uh, yes. And then also at the same time, it accelerates wealth concentration. This is the same machinery they always use. And whenever they want to squeeze stuff, I mean, it's happening. uh, And that's why it was so important that we have, and we have to continue to fight, 
for a multi-year response to the pandemic in terms of municipal, county, and state aid. It's no accident that all of a sudden uh, in his first budget, Mayor Adams finds, oh, there's a $200 million hole in education. Mm-hmm. Oh, no surprise, Sherlock, because the money has stopped coming out of Washington. Instead of doing a multi-year approach like FDR did, it's kind of one and done. And even when it is one and done, they don't follow through. I'll give you a perfect example. We've talked about this before. There are 5 million single-parent households struggling, some of them no doubt on the edge of eviction, and there's $14 billion sitting in the U.S. Treasury that has not been claimed because these families don't have the wherewithal to figure out how to get access to this money that they're entitled to by virtue of the American Rescue Plan that was passed last year. And with the exception of AOC and some other attention to detailed Congress people, nobody's helping them either. So this is the problem the Democrats have, is that, you know, all of a sudden we're having this fiscal crisis. People are feeling really the crunch. They didn't recover from the pandemic. We're still in the pandemic. And where's the president? Israel. Does that track? Well, oh, I'm straightening out the oil in Saudi Arabia. Really? Well, uh, you know, a president has a lot of responsibilities. I'm not going to criticize him for that. But, you know, he also has a large staff. New York ranks (laughs) as one of the 10 worst states in terms of unemployment. And although New Jersey is doing better, it's still in the lower half of states. Uh, New York City's employment unemployment rate is over 6%. Well, what can city or state governments do to deal with potential economic trouble, considering the fact that uh, President Biden's Build Back Better initiative was blocked by Republicans and conservative Democrats? Well, so let's let's take it apart. So on the revenue side, um, they could do things like in New York State, we've talked about this before, uh, back in uh, the early part, I think it was like 1912, 1913, a Republican governor in New York State faced with a $5 million budget deficit. Whoa, that was difficult. Came up with a solution, which was a nickel tax, that's five cents, uh, and per $100 transaction on Wall Street, that would go into the state coffers. And at the time, uh, the, Wall Street, the New York Times predicted the end of the world, that Wall Street would move to New Jersey. Suffice to say, for decades, the tax was collected and billions of dollars flowed. And um, now, back in the 1980s, some Democrats had the bright idea of refunding it. That's right. Refunding it to Wall Street, which we've been doing ever since. Tens of billions of dollars. That's right, listeners. While they closed hospitals in places like Queens and in upstate and rural areas, they gave back to Wall Street who were savaging our economy, repossessing homes, they gave them back that money. We're still giving it back. We could stop that. That's just one thing. Then, of course, on the other side, on the expense side of the ledger, we could uh, get over ourselves and pass in your health act and take a step forward by really being uh, progressive and and having uh, universal health care, at least in one state. Well, can states or cities do, at least in part, what the federal government cannot or will not do? Well, they can. And so that's one of the things about a multi-tiered system. And and I'm just working on a piece now for Insider NJ about what's going on in the environmental movement in New Jersey. So you have the federal government, and we have this situation in Washington, and I'm of the opinion that we have an ongoing soft coup. See, I don't have that kind of MSNBC discrete mindset that looks at it through the frame of how politics used to be. We're more like a Caribbean island 
where the government's not quite resolved. So the in Bob Henley's world, what really happened is we held them back at the Capitol and shoo, we got the Electoral College vote certified. But the mob went on and the junta is in control of the Supreme Court. And so in that situation, we're not fully in control of the government. So you saw them deal this serious blowback for environmental uh, control and the ability of the EPA to regulate greenhouse gases and climate change. So that's why it's so important that states and counties and municipalities have an ongoing response to disasters that we're in the midst of. And it's a mixed bag. I mean, we see some jurisdictions stepping up, but what's happened is fossil fuel and the forces of, um, of greed have managed to create lobbying efforts at every single level of government. So that's why we have to have a multi-layered response. Well, energy costs, especially the cost of fossil fuels like gasoline, have been a huge factor driving inflation up across the United States. And although we're still months from the heating season, air conditioning uses up a lot of energy. What impact are energy costs having on our area? Well, what it does is it creates, particularly because it's happening at the same time as a spike, it makes for lousy choices in working class households. And what you're seeing is uh, food is going up. We see, of course, the never ending pharma run up in, in any in, in kind of drugs. And so we also have a population that is still dealing now with an added chronic disease. And so what's not factored in, and, and it's funny because it's kind of like there was some meeting somewhere I wasn't invited. I don't think you were invited where it was decided that we were going to turn the page on the pandemic. Not that we would stop having to, you know, uh, individually, we have to be concerned about it. We've got to get, you know, shots and boosters, but collectively we have decided in the interest of society to move on now into the future, the brave future, whatever that is. And so as a consequence, we're not the government, the decision makers are not clued into the struggle that people are actually dealing with. And so when you have uh, uh, something like an energy, uh, a bump in gasoline prices, this really hits the essential workforce hard. These are the people that can't work remotely, like uh, the people that I've written about who, in the federal civil service, who serve the New York, New Jersey region. They have a federal civil service job in a VA facility or working in customs, working in federal prisons. They live in rural places west of the Delaware. So now they have to eat those costs. They have to eat that. So that's going to force them to make other difficult choices. So, again, scarcity. And so that's why the Democrats really have to make a serious effort between now and the election to get some points on the board by doing things like passing universal child care. Because one of the things that's impinging on the economy, they all mention it, is the workforce uh, uh, the lack of workers, the the uh, the uh, the gap in the number of jobs and the number of candidates filling it. Nobody mentions in polite company, and I don't include this show, polite company, the fact that oh, a million people died, like tens of millions of people got sick who were out there working that the government and corporations didn't protect. That's not even mentioned, which is why they must have a renewal of pandemic aid to get this workforce back on its legs. And then you won't have this kind of induced uh, economic decline. This is something that is being done deliberately. It's not arbitrary. It's, it's, it, this is what they do. The minute that there's a crisis and there's a choice between holding up the value of money 
and the circumstance of people, they pick the value of money every time. Stuck Nation's Bob Henley is my guest today on Leonard Lopez at Large here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live WBAI.org. And in your book, Stuck Nation, and in other writings, you've criticized what you call America's profit-obsessed system. Would you argue that demand for profits, not basic need, is a factor driving inflation? It's a whole ballgame. Is it, 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 are we seeing price gouging? Oh, I think that there's been some good reporting on this. There was a great, uh, and whenever I see it, Sunday morning, CBS Sunday morning, uh, did have a very good piece that kind of surprised me. I thought like the grown-up producers must have taken vacation <laughs> because I couldn't believe something that radical got on. But they did break down the prices, and uh, I think the phrase of the correspondent was great was greedflation. And Robert Reich has spoken to this, so this is this is something that's happening in, in the corporations. They see an opportunity. Never let a good crisis go to waste. And we don't have uh, right now, unfortunately, sufficient number of elected officials because we still depend so much on on corporate cash to run campaigns to stand up and call them out on it. And so this again, that's all part of the importance of controlling the narrative. We were in a national crisis and now we're feeling better. Well, we can go back to our old ways. President Biden warned oil firms to resist price gouging, and the House passed a bill to combat gasoline, gasoline price gouging. But um, is the federal government doing anything more than talking a good line? No, no. Which, or is this, again, really, a matter of partisan politics? No, what you should do is this is it's so easy. All you got to do, get the FBI call all the news agencies, go in and seize a bunch of documents from the oil companies. Give them a bad day. Give them a very bad day. Rent is a huge issue in New York City, but the Bureau of Labor Statistics reports that rents are going up less in this region because rent is already so high. I've seen landlords quoted in news reports arguing that mortgage and maintenance costs are forcing them to raise rents. Uh, What explanations have you seen landlords giving for raising rents? Well, uh, I get. I think it goes back to this kind of uh, atmospherics of everything's going up. Mm. Got to get my piece. It's not my fault. It's the other guy. Um, I do think again, this has to do with the fact that they turned a switch. You know, we had support, and we saw the courts, for instance, and the courts. Oh my gosh, what a disappointment! Uh, one of the things they did is the CDC had uh, come up with this. Um, provision that uh, evictions uh, be eviction moratorium during the period of time of the pandemic. And the right wing went and bought themselves some lawyers and they bought a legal opinion that that was not right. So what we see again is over and over again, the courts and the law increasingly in the service of capital and property. And even when it's to a point where it's obviously doing damage to the public health. And so, uh, that's why you have this kind of fits and starts. Uh, you had this this uh, plan in New York City uh, and in other areas that get bought people some time. And then it, they close the door on it and, and walk away as if, well, that's done. It's like what they do with the homeless. When they come across a homeless person writhing in pain on the street, they ask them if they know who the president is. And they can say they know who the president is. That's it. Another one. Check it for an intervention. I mean, that's the problem. I mean, these programs are created 
and no one is actually taking responsibility, like I said about the 5 million families. I mean, in some cases, this money that's sitting in the Treasury from the expanded child tax credit is as much five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000. And so we have to have members of Congress who feel like they can't have an, uh, another meal without making an effort to do at least what AOC did on the website. You go there. It's in Spanish and English. Yes, there's a cheesy picture of her holding somebody's baby that's not hers. But there's a guide. You put in your numbers, and it tells you what you're entitled to and how to get this money. I mean, what other job does a member of Congress have other than making sure that these people that are in the margins, many of them essential workers, get the money that's in the Treasury? You recently reported on mounting pressure on Mayor Eric Adams to release city documentation of the air quality around lower Manhattan after the 9-11 attacks. What might such documents reveal? And um, uh, Representatives Carolyn Maloney and Jerry Nadler have called for Adams to release the documents. Why uh, hasn't he complied? Has he given a reason? Well, he he has said he's going to sit down with them. And so um, I don't know. Uh, this this goes back. Uh, it's important. This listeners, uh, your folks are probably clued in on this. But going back to 2001, uh, 9-11, during that period of time, uh, we had the EPA with Chrissy Todd Whitman, who is the, the administrator, former governor of New Jersey, within a couple of days, come out and say that the air was safe to breathe hmm. in lower Manhattan. And so. Subsequently, in 2003, to the credit of the inspector general. Not not just Chrissy Todd Whitman, but also Mayor Rudolph Giuliani to some degree and and later Mayor Bloomberg. Right. But what the key thing here is that he didn't contradict them. So he kind of let the lead agency. That's like the language I like to use. They let Chrissy Todd Whitman front this. And so what the inspector general found from the EPA in 2003 was that the White House, Condoleezza Rice, and the Bush administration's council, White House Office on Environmental Quality, actually big-footed the press releases, changed the language, and then they suppressed, that is not released, data and tests they had that showed asbestos levels four times the level that would be acceptable. And that was suppressed, and as a consequence, people went down there, people continued to live there, Tens of thousands of individuals ate, drank while they worked on the site. We now have more people that have passed related to World Trade Center occupational illness and died on the day of the attack. We now have tens of thousands of people with long-term chronic disease. And the piece that's missing is what the city knew and when they knew it. And so as a consequence, it's recalled the reality that for a number of years, the city of New York actually fought the union's on any recognition that there was an occupational exposure. In fact, as I recounted the piece in Labor Peace and Labor Press, I talked to uh, Joe Zadroga, who is the father of Jim Zadroga. Uh, Joe Zadroga, the elder, is the former police chief of North Arlington, no slouch. He described to me how for three years his son was languishing. The police department fought his claims of disability. It was only after he died. And luckily for him and the family, he died in New Jersey. So I had an independent autopsy done, which found that it was the contaminants from the World Trade Center that tore up his insides. And at the time, Mayor Bloomberg, always known for sensitivity, Hmm. said he was a drug addict and not a hero. He subsequently apologized. But this this is all of a piece. So Rudy Giuliani, whose credibility now is a national security matter, 
is at the center of this. And so it's important that the the unions believe for history and then also to know what level of it's an employee's employer's obligation to disclose what risks they knew they were putting their employees into. Is evidence of long term effects still emerging? We see commercials on television from law firms offering to uh, to represent people who feel that they've been affected. So this is very important. I'm going to get a little geeky here because the details of this matter. You may have heard in the ads or either south of Canal Street. Uh, for the purpose of the Victims Compensation Fund, which was established to compensate people, the boundaries are Canal Street and Lower Manhattan from the period of time of the attack on 9-11 to the cleanup that uh, ended in May of, of 2002. Now, I was per- down there because I used to work uh, at a radio station down there. I was actually walking to work when I saw the second plane go into the World Trade, the second tower. Uh, uh, am I, but I haven't been affected. Uh, no, no, do we have a sense no. of... Uh, so, he, so here's, I wanted to finish this other piece because yeah. it's important. I mean, you're right. I'm glad you mentioned that, Anto. So for the purpose of the World Trade Center Health Program, which provides free health care, it's south of Houston Street, which gives you a, a, a lot more of Manhattan, and portions of western Brooklyn because of where the that mm. was located and where the plume was. So those people are entitled. Now, in this universe, one of the difficulties with the World Trade Center Health Program is that first responders have an automatic right of annual screening for these issues. There's about 70-some-odd cancers you can get and dozens of other respiratory issues and all kinds of digestive issues. And so out of that also, but survivors have to show symptoms first. And so that's unfortunate because a delay in symptoms can sometimes make a really bad prognosis. But that's the universe. Now, you mentioned the point about WNYC. There are a number of nonprofits, all kinds of employers. You should get yourself registered, even though you may not have any health symptoms right now. One of the problems with this is that there's about a half million people that were exposed. Around 100,000 roughly were first responders. They're about 90% of them are engaged in the program, but just 30-some-odd survivors. And that includes 19,000 school kids, K-12, through that Bloomberg ordered back into dozens of schools who now are in the middle of the reproductive years, ha, 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 and now they have these health complications they're unaware of. People who so, went to Stuyvesant High School. Exactly. Uh, you, I, I don't know if you've had, I would suggest as a guest, Nyla Nordstrom, Lila Nordstrom, who uh, uh, had sub something, she was a senior at Stuy Stuyvesant High School. She has started a nonprofit called Stuy Health. She's got a great book out um, uh, about that tells the story. So Stuy Health, if you if you're a young person, and and you're hearing this, if you're under thirty and you are living in and around there, please check out uh, Nordstrom's website Stuy Health because it will give you. Uh, relevant information about the, the issues you may be dealing with, particularly in light of COVID, it's really essential. And the city of New York actually owes these young people because they were ordered back for the for the whole um, burlesque of normalcy. And this will resonate with people. We have to return to normalcy, right? I mean, that's the other thing is that the reason why they suspended so many rules and why they looked the other way about the occupational exposure was the value of the real estate and its proximity to the operation of Wall Street. And that was considered to be a priority greater than the public health. Do you see a theme here, Leonard? 
We were talking about uh, Carolyn Maloney and Jerry Nadler advocating for release of the documents. Won't uh, either of them be out of office next year because of redistricting? Well, that's the food fight to be resolved at the end of next month, right? It's a primary. They're up against each other uh, with a uh, with quite a field. Um, yeah, it might be uh, this was the result of Democrats overreaching and then having upstate judges uh, provide an opportunity for some mischief-making, which has now pitted against some of the most effective legislators from a progressive standpoint against each other. Yeah. Well, the conservative majority in the Supreme Court has limited the EPA's authority to regulate. Are legal protections for Americans, environmental workplaces, or others being eroded despite evidence that we need such protections, <laughs> as we were just discussing in response to 9-11? Well, right, and that's one of the things that this court has been lurching to the right, and they're in, they're in a, uh, a real rush to do this. We've had some real erosion in the ability of the Biden administration to do workplace protections that came out of COVID. Um, the only thing, and I'm watching every day for this, there is a very important study pending with the CDC that was supposed to take six months, which will look at for the first time the occupational exposure and death toll by profession uh, from the pandemic. Uh, but in general, uh, that's why it's important to fight these fights at every level, to have uh, municipal laws that address these issues to have uh county laws were applicable and for the states because it's true that the uh federal judiciary because of uh i think senator uh whitehouse did a very good job in his book that talked about this this is a long-term play by capital interest to get control of the courts and now it's playing out in issues like occupational health and things like reproductive rights you're listening to Leonard Lopate at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. With Bob Henley, who hosts his own show here on WBAI on Monday mornings called What's Going On. He also writes for Salon, other news organizations, and has a book out called Stuck Nation, Can the United States Change Course on Our History of Choosing Profits Over People, published by Democracy at Work. Um, I was interested in, in uh, learning that Last week, that Representative Tom Malinowski argued in a New York Times essay that a new third party is needed, the moderate party. And for a change, he also wanted a change to New Jersey law that would allow fusion voting in which two parties cooperate to support one candidate. He claims that centrist parties could bridge the gulf between left and right. Yeah, what's I your, saw what's your that. What's thinking on uh, all of that? Uh, I mean, I, I just hope that he puts as much attention to filling out his stock disclosure forms, right? <laughs> well, uh, well uh, he, he supported Donald Trump more than any of the House Democrat. Uh, no, 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 he, not him. He, 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 no, the other one you're thinking of is Van oh. Drew. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah uh, we should talk about him. But Malinowski, I mean, th- this is this argument that Democrats make that the, that the, um, the future is in the middle. If we could only get along, mm. we're all reasonable people. And so 
that's kind of a way I looked at it as him wanting to avoid the growing progressive base. So let's just, you know, have a new tree fort, well, you know, rather than come to terms with the actual people that are there. Is he basing his claim on, on a sense that there's a balance between the left and the right? Hasn't the right become far more extreme in both policy and practice in recent years? Well, let's see. One is um, involved in armed insurrection. That would be the people of the Republican Party. And the Democrats are still hung up in nostalgia of voting. Yeah, I would say you're right. <laughs> I, I, I'm only messing with you. I, I, yeah, I, I uh, confused him with New Jersey's Josh Gottheimer. According to uh, well, the website GovTrack, he's the most conservative Democrat in the House. Right. He supported Donald Trump more than any other House Democrat. Could the New Jersey legislature try to redraw districts to oust him? No, that's we've already that's all been done. We we're very efficient here. Uh, they had this independent supposedly uh, thing that was done, and the independent monitor picked the plan that was favored by the Democrats. Uh, what's happened with that is that. Uh, Malinowski has a, a tougher situation in the 7th District. He's going up against uh, Tom Kane, who's got a real uh, a tough challenge because he was, you know, Trump is kind of hanging around his neck and he needs to have that base. And yet, you know, his his own father is kind of considered, you know, what's left of the liberal, uh, normal Republican Party. He was in the 9-11 Commission, definitely not somebody that would support an insurrection. So, uh, but that district actually now has um, more conservatives in it uh, than Malinowski had last time. Uh, in other parts of the state, it's uh, it's helped out Chris Smith um, a bit. Uh, he's the guy who's been in Congress, I guess, going back to 1980, Republican. He is actually the most vehement uh, uh, anti-abortion person probably in the House, uh, and so uh, he is, uh, and, and it's interesting in New Jersey, uh, and this kind of doesn't track nationally, but it's something that's happening in the state. Both Van Drew, who was that uh, from the second district, he was the guy who was a Democrat in Southern Jersey that was so in love with Trump, he actually became a Republican. Uh, and then also Smith, those are the two Republicans left out of the delegation. And the New Jersey AFLCO endorsed both of them. Uh, and so that's kind of the weird thing, you know, uh, unions at the local level, they would rather endorse uh, a reactionary incumbent than a progressive change agent that might not win. Now, after and, after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, New York's governor, Kathy Hochul, immediately declared New York State a safe harbor for those seeking abortions. How has uh, New Jersey's Governor Phil Murphy responded to the court's decision? Hasn't he emphasized New Jersey's abortion protections to lure businesses to the state? Oh, yeah. I mean, there, yes. The, the one thing that is true, that there's there were a civil group of uh, laws that were moved through the state legislature and approved. Uh, it is an issue that uh, is even within Republican circles, uh, we have, you know, support for choice. Um, but you do have that base uh, in places like Ocean County, and they are gatekeepers to nominations that are uh, that are very much anti-abortion. And for them, it's a defining issue. Uh, it's important to know that while Biden beat Trump by a million votes in New Jersey or close there, too, in 2020, Trump picked up an, uh, a, a lot of votes and, you know, just swamped uh Biden in places like 
Biden uh, in places like Ocean County. He beat Biden by a lot. And well, so he was a presence that, in New Jersey. Right. Right. And that's also um, the thing, though, about this this question about uh, for for Murphy to really be, though, they'd have to deal with the broader question of health care. And that's the thing where Democrats, they they for whatever reason, they they uh, with the exception of, uh, uh, I guess, like uh Gottfried, the assemblyman in New York, uh, uh, and uh, Senator Rivera, who supports New York Choice, uh, uh, there's very little stomach for really dealing with the need for radical reform in the healthcare system. And what's going to become increasingly clear is that there's a direct connection. You can't effectively deal with reproductive health without also knocking on the door of universal health care. And so the Democrats don't want to go there. They think Obamacare was good enough, but as somebody that's been through the healthcare system recently with the fairly significant life-altering crisis and just am doing reporting on it, this is still the thing that's defining many Americans' lives. You talked before about the crisis economically. One of the things that's really driving this is also the added on of medical debt that if you were lucky enough to survive COVID, and we still are not seeing any real effort to address this. I mean, there's some short-term things that Biden could do like a more substantial student debt forbearance uh, and, and, and dealing with medical debt. And so these are the issues that are, are really tangible, and they're all connected. Well, do we know whether they're having any impact on American businesses? Caterpillar is moving its construction equipment manufacturing headquarters from Illinois to Texas, which many people would say is a, currently a troubled state. What happens if businesses ignore political controversies? Well, it's a mixed bag here because there's this um, this new movement that is um, environmental sustainable governments, ESG, it's called governance, which is this uh, thing that's happening, uh, new requirements that exist in publicly traded corporations for accountability on issues related uh, to, you might want to say, issues of uh, diversity, um, ethical business practices, the environment. And so now this is something that uh, is starting to show up inside internal debates in publicly traded corporations. And so you do have this kind of uh, this very odd moment where some of these corporations, big corporations, are on one hand uh, offering as a benefit because they are so in need of attracting young people, especially people with STEM skills. They're offering them a four or $5,000 travel stipend if they happen to be located in a state where there isn't choice and reproductive rights have been suspended. And at the same time, companies are also giving to the right wing that want to bring Trump back. Now, sports organizations have moved events out of states in response to right-wing attacks on LGBTQ and other rights in the past. Have um, any other organizations make similar moves recently that we know of? Well, I guess the thing you're talking about is when they had these high-profile trophy games, you know, uh, all-star games and the rest. Uh, One of the things that I would look for, I don't know if it's happening, but certainly the movie industry uh, has been known to weigh in uh, in terms of film production. I think I saw something that IATSE was doing. Uh, And in some ways, this is also just a practical thing. Uh, If you are on location or have to be in a place for a certain period of time because it's uh, it's cheaper for the production company. Uh, one of the things they have to be mindful if they want to make sure that they have enough people doing the job is can we attract 
young people to do this work. And if in your estate where indeed reproductive rights have been suspended, that has to be factored in. Well, on reproductive rights or on environmental workplace protections, are states having to do what the federal government once did? Conservatives used to champion states' rights while liberals preferred federal action. Uh, is, is it becoming reversed now? Well, it is. And it's, of course, uh, what's happening is that, and I think the global environmental movement and the lateness of the whole climate change challenge uh, is part of this. Uh, we really have, there isn't enough time to do anything else but to act on a multi-layered approach. That includes uh, your neighborhood and then reaching out to your county, to your state, to your government, and then internationally, and to operate on all those levels simultaneously. That's the way that change is leveraged. Uh, And it's not going to happen if you just focus on one of those, because there's always going to be an escape hatch. And so I do see... um, effective organizing happening. In the, and that's why it's so important. We spend so much of our day in our workplace, uh, even if we're working remotely, we spend so much time working for a business. And it's important that we start bringing our values to our workplace. And that's happening. I mean, we are in a very exciting period of time. We've been through this traumatic event that we're still going through, this math death event, in where we talked about this as a theme before, the government and corporations failed spectacularly to protect people. The people that had all the answers, that had all the wealth, they're all the top managers. There was a life-threatening series of uh, challenges that the government and corporations failed at dramatically. And we had to respond to it as individuals. And what happened was we put our families at the top of the charts. We put them at the top of the pyramid. And that has been an anthropological shift that the capital forces just don't know what to do about. People care more about their family than their money. And that is something that this pandemic brought into base relief. And that's because these guys were so greedy. They created this this crisis that created this moral upheaval, as Reverend Barber talks about, not an insurrection, but a resurrection of human values. My guest on today's Leonard Lopez at Large is Bob Henley, and this is WBAI New York 99.5 FM, streaming live at WBAI.org. Are are New York and New Jersey experiencing the the kind of political polarization that the country is at the national level? Because there's, it strikes me there's a significant upstate-downstate divide in New York, and I was wondering about whether... There's something comparable in New Jersey because the southern tip of New Jersey is at the same latitude as northern Virginia. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. The Mason Dixon line. What is, and we got into this a little bit before. Uh, yes, this is why I love coming on the show because we get a little deeper. We, 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 we fly at 500 feet and not 10,000. It is true that if you look at the map that there is, and I said to this, you before, that there's certain areas of New Jersey, they got redder. That is, they become red-hot reactionary, where you see the Trump technicals uh, driving through caravans, the flags, all that craziness. Wait, I just want to interrupt for a second, because I remember on an earlier show, you pointed out that southern New Jersey was more liberal in uh, earlier days because because the Quakers uh, were nearby. And that's a slavery question. What happened was slavery 
was uh, because up in New York, northern New Jersey had more of uh, commerce activity. There was more demand for labor. That's where slavery really got traction. But in this case, what's happened is particularly like if you get into Cumberland, Burlington, the middle, I'd say the bottom third of the state is also very, uh, with some exceptions, is a really poor place. And so in Cumberland County, you have uh, the situation where like the second district is a great example. It's one of the 25 districts that voted twice for Obama. Hear me? Obama twice and then voted for Trump. Hmm. And these are these places that are blue collar where there's a significant portion of uh, minority voters who felt that the Democrats didn't deliver for them. And that, for instance, you saw a drop off of 800,000 votes in 2016 of African-American of voters who did not turn out in that election because in their neighborhood, what they saw during the Obama era was foreclosures. And so the Democrats are setting themselves up for the same kind of event now because there's the same lack of attention to detail, like where people live. What's happening now is that you have these private companies, you talked about housing, coming in and buying up all these single-family homes and turning a generation of people into permanent renters. We know that once that happens, political engagement declines. So there is this, you're right about this polarization. We see it between upstate and downstate in New York. We see it in terms of enforcement of the pandemic. And I would visit this back on, put this back on Donald Trump, because one of the aggravating factors, not only was he playing an insurrection, but he was doing it during a time of national emergency where he single-handedly pitted the states against each other and kneecapped their response to a public health crisis. And we are still dealing with the legacy of that now with this divided enforcement. Well, he kept on saying COVID was going to go away. But with, with this polarization, uh, what do you think is the public or, or political sentiment about investigating and possibly prosecuting Donald Trump in the light of what we've just been learning? Some people are saying that it would be impossible to convict him. Well, I, I think that I don't think we really have a choice but to hold him accountable. I think that each day that goes by with more disclosures, it's clear that this is a willful, well-planned, uh, multifaceted criminal enterprise uh, anybody that followed him uh, in Atlantic City is familiar with the way he operates. He is like a um, uh, an invasive species. He is like uh, a weed, and he grows up into the regulatory structure, into the police station. And what he did in um, Atlantic City was the same deal. He co-opted the prosecutors, the Casino Control Commission. Oh, your time's coming up at the Casino Control Commission. How would you like to work for Donald Trump? And that's the way he acquires people. And he's been acquiring people. And so now the problem, though, is the media is hooked on it. The media doesn't want him to ride off into the sunset. So they're keeping him alive because they see him as a, as a reason for clicks. That's not to say he doesn't have a base. But I do think that the more we realize that um, that he was focused on holding on to power outside the uh, the legal means of the Constitution, he, we have no choice but to see that at least he's uh, uh, tried whatever the outcome of the trial. Do you have a sense that some conservatives in New York and New Jersey are changing their positions regarding Trump as a result of the January 6th hearings? I would say that even before uh, there was uh, more generally, 
because life goes on and he's of a certain age. Uh, people that want to have a future in politics are making, um, I saw in Jack Cittarelli's candidacy for governor, a Republican who came really close to actually beating uh, Murphy. It was, you know, tens of thousands of votes between them. Uh, you saw in his positions real moderation, particularly on issues like immigration. So there's a kind of, and I see in Governor Hogan in Maryland, uh, I think it's important to know that all the governors that were standing for election that he tried to beat that were Republican prevailed in their primary. So I think that his hold on the Republican Party is overstated. We have just a few minutes left, but I was wondering about the Supreme Court ruling that people have a right to carry guns in public spaces uh, based on a, a challenge to a 1911 New York law. Have New York and New Jersey taken any measures to restrict guns where, where guns may be carried now? Uh, well, right. I mean, there's a lot of concern about rising gun violence in New York City. How have safety concerns in New Jersey changed during the pandemic and with rising inflation? Well, both states have uh, very strong existing gun laws. And so what you have seen is both in New York, there was a special session in Albany that Governor Hochul called for a recalibration to get more granular so that they're getting specific about places where guns can't be uh, to try to close the vulnerability of existing law. And similar moves are happening in New Jersey. I do think that the more that this Uvalde tape gets out, that shows the juxtaposition of uh, the uh, all these armed officers with uh, all this firepower and all this equipment just hanging out for an hour because they were terrified of an AR-15 while these children were slaughtered. That is a game changer. That is going to be, uh, I do feel that, because I was, I was down in Trenton when there was a big push about the uh, assault weapons ban in New Jersey. And the, the reality is about this is that the tragedy is we know what an America looks like with an assault weapons ban. This existed. And during that period of time, uh, there was a decline in this kind of mass shooting. And so we've even seen it in, in Australia. So it's just a question of, like I say, not giving up on it. And again, operating in this multi-leveled approach, both municipal, county, state, and national. Now, listeners write to me to tell me how much they uh, enjoy hearing you on this show and on your Monday morning show called What's Going On. Um, uh, you you write for a number of publications as well. If they want to keep up with you during the, the times that you're not with us, uh, where should they look? Well, so uh, I would say uh, Muckrack uh, is uh, Bob Henley. That They do a pretty good tra- tra- tracking everything. Um, at Stuck Nation, then, of course, Democracy at Work. Uh, I have an event that is uh, going to be uh, tomorrow at 1. It's going to kind of be a global web event. No, that we, you can we want people to listen to the show at 1. Oh, tomorrow. So, <laughs> then, <laughs> oh great, a proliferation. And I guess, you're, uh, and so, yeah, so other than that, of course, you should listen to Leonard. But <laughs> that pretty much at Stuck Nation and also uh, be Henley at StuckNation.com. Well, that does bring us to the end of today's show. You, you, we're still in the process of doing fundraising because we uh, have great needs, including to pay for our tower fund. Anything you want to say about that before? Uh, I'll make the same offer I always make. That's right. Uh, if you call in and become a, uh, a BAI buddy on this watch for Leonard Lope, uh, I will send you an autographed copy of Stuck Nation, Can the United States Change Course on Our History of Choosing profits over people and i 
even though the premium is the programming, I will personally go to the post office and mail it. And that's a, a BAI buddy at any level because uh, it could be 10, 15, 20, 25. I would 30, say, I would say $10. Let's call okay. it $10. Okay. I think that's fair. And All we right. really do appreciate uh, sustaining members because it allows us to plan for the future, which is really important. Hopefully it'll be different than the past. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob, uh, I look forward to having you back sometime soon. Right. Unfortunately, that does bring us to the end of today's show. And uh, I, I want to alert the listeners to the fact that if they want to check out more of our one-hour interviews on one subject or with a great guest like Bob, you can access our archive of nearly 700 shows at WBAI.org or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, everywhere else that podcasts are available. Uh, you can also check us out on Twitter. And if you'd like to write to me, my email address is LeonardLopate at WBAI.org. And uh, as uh, we were saying, Bob and I, we need to ask you to consider stepping up and supporting BAI as we struggle to stay afloat during these difficult times. We're asking all of our listeners who haven't taken that step already to make a tax-deductible contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by going online to give to WBAI.org. That's given the number to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950, 212-209-2950. Please do it right now to keep the unique in-depth content we bring you on the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. And as Bob pointed out, we would really love it if you considered becoming a sustaining member of what we call a BAI buddy for $10 a month or more. But however you decide to support us, um, I hope you'll call right now because WBAI relies 100% on listener donations. We don't take ads or foundation grants, which allows us to be completely free speech radio. And if Leonard Lopez at Large is part of your daily routine. Why not keep it going for someone who's just discovering it? You can do that, as I said, by calling 212-209-2950 or by going online to give to WBAI.org to help support independent radio. We don't take foundation grants. We don't take ads. There are public radio stations that take what they call funding credits, but they're really grant. They're really ads. We don't do that. We are 100% supported by our listeners, the only station in New York that is like that. So don't forget to make that tax-deductible contribution in the name of Leonard Lopate at large. And from all of us at the station, we thank you very much. And we hope that you will join us again tomorrow when one of our other favorite regulars on the show, Monona Russell, will be joining us to take your calls on all things medical. So... I hope to see you then. Again, 212-209-2950 or give to WBAI.org. Please do it now.